What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Hey, just want to take another look at you. <laughs> you are a loser, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking maybe for a concept pod, we just do a whole like Eddie Brock and Venom thing. Where like whoever's talking in one section, we just have the other person doing the like the Venom take. It's not a bad idea, you know. I'm sure you're a loser on your planet. I'm a loser here, so... <laughs> There's a lot, <laughs> lot of common ground. Yeah, man. Well, anyone that, that's been listening to the pod for any amount of time probably uh, agree with that statement. But if you're following the pod, that means that you like us. So share us with friends. Subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, and SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to find every way to be following us. Uh, we're going to be talking Venom, A Star is Born, 21 Pilots, Hozier. But we're starting today with The Mandalorian. Disney's new Star Wars IP, John Favreau, a show running this uh, story that's going to take place on the planet of Mandalar. And Bubba Fat and Jango Fat famously wore the Mandalorian armor. They were not Mandalorians, but th- there, there's been one picture released last week, and it looks pretty sick. I mean, it, it got me pretty hyped. What was your initial response to seeing this first picture and finding out the name of uh, this show. It looks like they're spending $10 million an episode (laughs) on the show, as we found out, which is great. I think any caution people would have with a live-action Star Wars show, and part of the reason George Lucas never really made the shows that he wrote countless scripts for was due to cost. And Disney, this is going to be the flagship, I assume, adult-themed title for that streaming service when it launches next year, and they're wisely not going to spare any expense. That's the same amount of cost per episode as Westworld, for example. That's great, you know, and that first image looks really dynamite, looks movie quality, and that's what we want to see. You know, I think shows like Arrow and all those CW superhero shows, and even maybe the Marvel Netflix shows to a lesser extent, you know, they always feel like they could have given you more if they more was invested in them, right? So I'm just hoping that The Mandalorian continues to run smoothly the way I, we have literally go off so far. And all these different directors, exciting names mm-hmm. being thrown out. Taika Waititi, staying the Disney family. Dave Filoni, Star Wars Lucasfilm veteran. Uh, Rick Famuyiwa, Deborah Chow. Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, and that that's, that's, that's might be the most interesting one, right? Because I know Bryce Dallas Howard's done some writing, but I don't know how much directorial experience she has. So that's a cool pick, you know? And obviously maybe... Uh, satiating ryan howard for uh taking a lot of heat for solo so very exciting all around so i'm eager to see maybe a, a teaser early next year or something yeah you know it's it's really interesting and we, we've been talking a lot about especially during awards times how game of thrones kind of winding down last season there's going to be these spinoffs but it's going to leave a huge void in terms of what people are watching and i mean it's not that if you watch Game of Thrones, it's all you watch, but it takes a lot to, to follow a show like that. You know, there's a lot of mythology behind it. If you, you can get really lost to theories, shows are an hour plus long. So it's it's an investment. And in within the next couple of years, there's a lot of big IP out there, a lot of fantasy IP out there that's going to be coming. Star Wars is the one that we're talking about now. As I mentioned, the Game of Thrones spinoffs, which I think we'll probably see... You know, probably as Thrones is wrapping up next year, some of the, the trailers come out for that. Chronicles of Narnia is coming to Netflix. They bought all the C.S. Lewis uh, property there. Yeah, the King Killer Chronicles, which Man- Lin-Manuel Miranda is running for Showtime. 
Lord of the Rings coming to Amazon we talked about, and that's supposed to be Game of Thrones level budget. So we'll see if that equals quality. Dark Materials on BBC. It's the James McAvoy property, which uh, they said that they might only make one season, but there's, I think, like 13 books in that series or something like that. There's a lot. And then the Wheel of Time also coming to Amazon. So there's a lot of different IP coming up. What do you make of this? Like Wheel of Time's the one with a million books. Oh, sorry. His Dark Materials is only three. That's the Golden Compass trilogy. I think it's fascinating that everyone, you know, all the various networks, and I think uh, BBC will be uniting with HBO to show his dark materials over here in the U.S. So basically everyone has skin in the game, and someone like Amazon, like you said, Wheel of Time, a series with 13, 15 books, various timelines. It's, I mean, that, that's the series that was not finished by its original author. Robert Jordan passed away, and that's the common example for George R. R. Martin to get his act together, right? And the fact that they do that, something that's never really been adapted, while also doing Lord of the Rings as their big, big bet, you know? It's just, it's crazy to see everyone just kind of commodifying the fantasy genre and hoping to find that next Game of Thrones or even that next Walking Dead just to show that really commands the screen time and emboldens, you know, big fan bases. Obviously, they won't all be successful. I'm sure one or two of them won't be very well received, but, you know, we have that blueprint for how you make really good franchise TV in the prestige era. So potential is there for all these shows, given that almost all of them have a lot of good talent already attached. So uh, we just kind of got to let's see how it goes because if they're all competing side by side, something inevitably will fall by the wayside or just become a niche success, you know? Yeah, you know, especially with these coming to streaming and i think a point a lot of people are making is these shows don't care if you're watching them all at the same time if you're watching them week to week they just want to have them in their library for people to discover the thing about game of thrones though is similar to breaking bad or other shows that really capture the zeitgeist is people are talking about them as they happen you can't be on twitter as game of thrones is airing and you're not watching it so it's interesting, I think, how these shows are going to go about it because for sure, like Game of Thrones, it encapsulates it, it monopolizes that time. It's all people are talking about when it's happening. But these shows are going to be different. And I, I don't know if, especially coming to streaming platforms all being released, if they'll all be released at once in small chunks, if any of these will ever be able to really reach that Game of Thrones level again. What do you think? So almost all of these properties are, I mean, I wouldn't say they're super mainstream or have this super big ability to become uh, really broad appeal on their own. Almost all these, you know, they're they're old. These books have been around a while, best-selling and whatnot. But the reason Game of Thrones became so big and so lauded was not because it was a very dense fantasy world like all these other shows. It was because it was about well-written, interesting characters and relatable relationships mm-hmm. and things like that, right? And if these other shows don't have that and they just have dense lore done well, it'll still attract fans of the property right. already, but probably won't burst through the PTV bubble and get anybody else. And all these networks and services want everybody else right. as well. It's going to come down to quality and exposure. We've seen what happens when something that's really good doesn't, you know, really jump out beyond its core base. You know, I mean, heck, the channel sci-fi does a lot of these weird mm-hmm. bets all the time. Usually not don't invest as much as they should, but I mean, they never become gigantic hits, even when they're good. So we have quite the range of possibilities. And now we just got to see if all these shows do, in fact, get made and then how good they actually are. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. And we'll be talking about them. You know, the more that, that these sort of properties come out, the more I just appreciate shows like 
the good place something that's like 30 minutes it's short it's kind of mindless in ways like you don't have to invest too much especially because like right now I'm, I'm catching up on Saul I'm working my way through Maniac I look forward to the good place almost more than any other show or like Survivor which is like a, an hour of like mindless television every Wednesday just because the, they, they take a lot out of you and especially after you know this isn't our full-time job we work for a living so it's just nice to have that that time where you don't need to be so invested so we'll be talking about it as it comes up let's jump into uh, a little bit of music here Hozier my guy his uh, self-titled album dropped four years ago now you know, and the EP came out five years ago. Really successful. Take Me to Church was a massive hit. And I think overall, just people who listened to the album felt like there were a lot of, of really well-crafted, you know, uh, folk alt rock so, uh, songs in there. And it, I think the thing that comes across most with him is he writes really, really good lyrics, but packages it in a way that's it's fun to listen to, you know, a song like Jackie and Wilson, I think, is a perfect example where it's meaningful, you know, nice song and it's very catchy and fun. But nothing about him, I think, blows me away. So then fast forward, Nina Cried Power EP drops a couple weeks ago and he's trying out some different things here. It's the first time we've heard from him in a while. He had a couple of shows. I think he had three shows at Radio City in New York City. He's about to be rolling out this bigger album. What did you think of these four songs? Because... I think some of it's a lot of the same and some of it has some promise. Yeah, I agree. What kind of struck me when you mentioned this EP to me, I was like, oh shit, yeah. What the fuck <laughs> has Hozier been doing this whole time? Because it's like, Take Me to Church, This when it was released as a single and then the EP went along with it. He was 23 when yeah. that song came out. He's 28 now. And that album you referenced, self-titled, that captured the two EPs he released and some other songs. And it was actually a pretty impressive album considering it was you know a lot of material from pretty big stretch of time in his young career right but then he just kind of successfully toured all over the world and i guess went away and recorded you know he's it's been pretty quiet and you know for a young young star in rock music it's kind of something that the genre needs to be present all the time not that he went away is kind of disappointing in that regard but you know the the next music is good i I don't think anyone will fault him and i actually like this ep i thought um like you said, I think songs like Need to Cry Power, the first song with Mavis Staples, I think that starts out very familiar and then it kind of builds into you know some newer ideas. But actually, my favorite song was the immediate follow-up, uh, NFW, MB, Nobody yeah. Fucks With My Baby. I thought that was really cool and that doesn't sound like anything mm-hmm. we used to do. Um, you know, that uh, more uh, muted, reserved yeah. uh, chorus. You know, I, I really, really got into that one. Very chilly. So, yeah, I think it's def- definitely promising. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Mavis Staples brings something to Nina Cried Power, the title track that was really absent on his other um, album, on his self-titled album. And also the music video, um, having all these Irish activists listening to his song while these uh, images of protests and and things play in the background is pretty powerful. Um, Probably my favorite song, though, was Moment Silence. I feel like his like bluesy rhythm and like the guitar riff on that just really like sucked me in. Um, and I mean, it's talking about making love on that track Dave. So n- nothing to hate there. I think that there's a lot to like. No, I just, no. since he's been away for so long, the, the indie rock, uh, field has like, uh, we, we talked about what's happened to rock, but I feel like the indie rock field has become very populated with, people trying a lot of things and being pretty successful. I know we talked a lot about 
Waxahachie, which we, we gave a positive review to, despite what people may think. We talked about uh, Snail Mail and, um, you know, even like Father John Misty's most recent album, we liked a lot. So there's a lot of people in the genre doing some interesting things. And I, I want to see him pushing himself more uh, on the LP when it comes out. Because I want, uh, you know, I really want him to invent himself in a way that is unique and gives it, it justice. I don't want him to just be the indie pop, uh, indie rock pop guy, you know, that that can make these songs that make it to the radio, but sure. not really doing much. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I think it's worth a listen to the the uh, EP for now. The kings of indie rock, though, if you can even call them indie rock at this point. Um, Twenty One Pilots released their follow-up to their what was it like triple platinum album blurry face yeah at least crazy trench came out this past friday it's what 15 tracks 14 tracks runs almost an hour before i give you my take i want to hear what did you think of this album i want you on the backtrack because i know you you've been a a fan or at least known of 21 pilots for some time you were in on the band before they went super mainstream with the last album blurry face and i think you saw them perform at least twice right yeah i've seen them three times now three times right and smaller venues i mean now they play arenas and it's pretty if someone was on board this whole time it's been pretty impressive rise you know i actually kind of like their music more as they got more popular just because Overall, just walk back for a second. I find 21 Pilots, I, I'm usually one in camp or the other. I usually really dig the song or I really don't like the song. And I feel like their albums kind of are always all over the place in that mm-hmm. regard for me. But the reason I like Blurry Face more than Vessel was because I felt Blurry Face just was like a tighter produced mm-hmm. album, which probably lent itself to radio more, hence their their big success with songs like uh, Ride and Stressed mm-hmm. Out. It, because I've, I never felt like their songwriting did it for me i know some people really attach themselves to that songs like like car radio for example right you know i've i've always kind of found like the sad boy aesthetic a little off-putting so some of those (laughs) softer songs i'm not really into that being said i just thought blurry face just sounded better even though i still think it's an album that's kind of all over the place but as you listen to it because again it's another long listen i thought it was a step up and this album trench they released what four batch like four singles or so Mm -hmm. leading up to this and you know, they really had went away up until they just started up a traditional rollout for this. You know, oh, oh, look, they're doing arena tours. Sounds like an album's coming up. Oh, here's some singles. Yep, they're back. And that was after a big, you know, uh, year plus world tour after Blurry Face. So they kind of are just being big, big rock stars, alternative rock stars right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this album, I think, again, I felt like it really went all over the place. I think it starts off like Jumpsuit. There's actually like real guitars on that, yeah. and then like they, they forgot guitars existed as you listen to the rest of the album. Now, they always have the drums, yeah. uh, given you know uh, the role of uh, the duo. Uh, the drums are always there, and like electronic bass lines are always usually present, and the guitars just kind of evaporated <laughs> after the start of the album. But I thought it was just a funny choice because like I they, they uh, stood out to me when I was listening, and I was like, oh shit, okay, this is this is new. Oh, never mind, <laughs> they forgot. Um, but I think. Once again, when they you know they hit on a song on this album, I think they're successful. And then when they don't, I think there's some weird songs on here. So it's kind of business as usual, I guess, mm-hmm. for me. But what was your take as someone who's been into the band far longer than I have? Yeah, you know, uh, I think the thing I liked about Vessels is, uh, and I think people give uh, you know knock them a lot for this is they switch up their songs in the middle so severely 
it, it, it can throw you off the first time you hear it because you're like, is this even the same song sometimes, the, the way that it digresses? But uh, they always bring it back around. And I felt like that's actually what made them very unique, where Blurry Face kind of took them a little bit more mainstream. Like you said, it was a little more tightly produced, which I, I think actually makes this album my, my favorite is Sense Vessels. I mean, Vessels holds a very special place in my heart when I... I discovered them and it was just a very probably one of my favorite concerts ever I've been to. Um, but I think the way that the songs transition on this and the way that the ideas are tied together throughout the album, um, as well as just, I, like I said, the production and the sounds in this seem a little bit more uh, just precise, I think. Um, like a song like My Blood, I think is maybe the best song that they've made since Vessels, in my opinion. I think it's really great. It has a very like Killers type vibe to it, actually. You know what that song reminded me of? Wasn't Who? it Killers? Um, Foster ah, Hunter. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, like I, I think My Blood is probably my favorite song on here. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think that they, they could definitely use some more guitars in there. Um, but for a band that, you know, started off as pretty much like piano and drums i think that they try to stay true to that you know like they end the album with pretty much a piano ballad with leave the city um but yeah there are certain moments in this album that i really just love levitate the the drums on that just uh like crash and snare throughout it that are just amazing um i i don't really like when they they try to go reggae and they i think like nico and the niners i think that was a single that just didn't hit for me yeah um nope. and pet cheetah just i think it's like the worst of 21 pilots when they can be a little all over the place and try to pull almost too many genres in together but they they really are yeah, a genre the- bending band that i think um is able to capture things that especially like late teenage early 20s you're trying to like figure yourself out they really encapsulate that and almost corner that market so uh i mean i Overall, I liked it a lot. Still not up there with Vessels for me, but probably I like it way better than Blurry Face. Word, yeah. Pet Cheetah, for example, you're right. That really just is one of those like, grab bag <laughs> songs they make where like the production, I think, is pretty solid. You listen to that hook, and you're just like, all right, well, you yeah. do the song. Like, <laughs> you know? And like songs like another song like Legend. Like I read my notes, <laughs> Legend question right. mark. So again, I like, I like some of it. Mm-hmm. I don't like a lot of the other parts, so it's like, you know, I don't know if I ever can listen to that song again. It's weird. Yeah, you know, like um, Smithereens, for example, is a song that reminds me a lot of um, House of Gold, you know, which is just like a, it's a sweet acoustic song. And Smithereens is just, it's more, uh, it doesn't have any uh, ukulele in it um, like House of Gold does, but just like it's a love song. It's very upbeat, kind of sweet. Um, and, you know, they're 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 talking about the the low lights of fame on this in a lot of ways and how that plays into their depression and anxiety. So yeah, you know, 21 pilots, I think they're a band that's starting to find their footing and I, I think that they can definitely continue propelling forward and being huge. They're not going to stop headlining festivals anytime soon. And this album's not going to do anything to, I, I think elevate them more, but it's definitely keeping them on par with where they're at. So I think we'll, we'll I, probably my blood will be added to the, the playlist and check that out. On Spotify, Nostalgia Best of 2018. We have, I think, almost 110 songs on there right now. Well, Dave, it's time to talk about it. We've, I think, the first time we talked about Venom was what, two years ago when it was announced? Yeah. And we kind of reacted the same way we reacted two weeks ago. It's like, not sure why this exists <laughs> creatively. We know why it exists financially. Venom, Sony wants to use their extended 
Spider-Man IP licensing, so I don't blame him for that, but it was still an interesting choice, and then you watch the movie, and still my takeaway. <laughs> Just to talk about my experience real, real quick, I went to one of those theaters where you had to purchase your seat, but I showed up a little late because uh, I wanted to skip the previews, and... By the time I got to my seat, this movie had started, and someone was sitting in my seat. So I, and I, it was dark. I didn't, I just didn't want to fight with them. So I like went down to like the front row. I sat in the front row. So that, that's already gonna skew my my take of the movie a little bit because I just was not sitting in a good seat for it. But then, man, I went in. I went into it thinking that I was gonna get a lot of laughs out of it because people were saying that the humor kind of salvages a lot of the movie. And I think there were some some funny moments, you know, Venom in particular playing off Eddie Brock's lack of courage or him being a pussy basically at points, which I, I, I think that's probably my favorite moment when he told him to jump and he didn't jump and he called him a pussy. But there was so there's so much about this movie that was just baffling. You know, uh, I think Hardy is really charismatic in the role. And I, I actually give him a lot of credit because he just went for it. And like, it at least makes it watchable and something interesting. But yeah, I was left with a lot of just like head scratching and just feeling like, why? <laughs> to be blunt, it's just dumb. <laughs> the, 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 the dialogue is bad. Oh my God. Uh, horrible. You know, quote, Michelle Williams, I'm sorry about Venom, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Or, okay or, 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 or wait how, how do they explain venom's like heel turn to uh, oh i'm a loser on my planet anti-hero? and uh you know yeah. I spe- I, here i can be something more i guess so let's right just stay. it's also like tonally all over the place yeah you know and i think just it's weird and we're so you know used to the marvel cinematic universe and whether you like or you're tired of the monotony of the MCU, one thing they never fail with is establishing a consistent mm-hmm. tone, right? And I think DC, they also they had some issues with tone. They're seemingly writing that ship. It sounds like Aquaman tonally would be more in line with Wonder Woman. So they, we hope, have some footing, mm-hmm. right? But this movie itself does not maintain a tone throughout. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of campy humor, something stuff that I found legitimately funny. And like I just was having a good old time laughing at the idiocy, right? Mm-hmm. That being said, the movie is bad. I think like, there's tons of expository dialogue all the time. Jenny Slate, a talented comedic actress, well-liked, literally doesn't have a joke in the whole movie. You know, she's just kind of there and also makes some weird decisions as a character. Riz Ahmed, another talented guy, happy got his bag, but he's just kind of being malevolent Elon Musk. That's kind of the rap on him and... His character really started to piss me off just because he got way more irrational and nonsensical in his decision making throughout the film, which it seemed out of character the way they established him as somebody really mm. smart. And then, yeah, you, I mean, you spoke to Hardy's choices. And again, I think Hardy definitely went for it. Like you said, uh, not sure what that accent was. <laughs> it wasn't New York and it wasn't San Francisco. Yeah. And he was in the Bay and he's from New York. So, I mean, he did something weird with cool. that. But I think. His best scene in terms of like physical physical acting was probably that restaurant scene. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it was like in the lobster tank. This is dead, you know. And like I think some of those moments are really funny. It's the problem is it's a movie that has funny or am- at least amusing moments packaged around a dumb, poorly paced, plotted film. You know, like it again it took a while for us to get to Venom. You know, we went through a traditional origin mm-hmm. for Eddie Brock, and the movie also didn't really establish. Eddie Brock is kind of comic Eddie Brock is just kind of a dick kind of a douche right but it's like they didn't commit to either really side of that apparently he's actually a good boyfriend right like right and like is he Greg Greenwald or is he Alex Jones (laughs) for the Eddie Brock show I'm not really sure you know 
So there's just a lot of, I just have a lot of notes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think more than anything, just like how bad this script was is like very evident. You know, I actually didn't hate Riz Ahmed's performance. I think every time he was on screen, I, I enjoyed watching him. It was just was yeah. like, I mean, first of all, his outfit choices, like <laughs> the, the zip up quarter zip with uh, the um, the jacket over it was just such a bizarre first time meeting him. And then, uh, you know, you don't really even meet Riot until what, like 20 minutes left in the movie? Like, it's like all of a yep. sudden, uh, yeah, here's Riot, and this is actually the real villain of the movie. It's kind of like, oh. Uh, I know that they wanted to make this more about Eddie Brock and Venom meeting each other and becoming, you know, we are Venom. Uh, but at the same time, I I feel like they also kind of rushed that at points. Like, Venom's motives weren't really clear. We don't really understand any reason why he just decided to all of a sudden start listening to Eddie. Like, he could have just controlled him the whole time and we don't we have no idea how eddie ever teams yeah. him it just doesn't really make sense yeah what is the explanation is just that oh well yeah uh, there's a <laughs> he's like oh that you're a good fit for a host i can't throw you away and it's like all right if you say so um but like yeah those other symbiotes are just kind of thrown away they died okay then but yeah oh riot sure it's like i thought it was just from me you know and then so that was weird thing with the plot, and then, I mean, you can't help but question the thirty to forty minutes that were cut. Tom Hardy cites his favorite stuff in the movie was something somewhere in that. What was that? It just was the movie just more violent and gory, and they just trimmed it down, or was there just whole sets of scenes or subplots that were thrown away? Because I actually think if the movie was a little longer, it'd probably be to his benefit because it would probably. Uh, beef out the relationship between Eddie and Venom. Yeah, you know, so release the Hardy cut. Again, this... <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I said this last week, but again, making a movie about Venom and the marketing laid into this. You know, he's an antihero. I was like, no, he's really just a dumb fucking villain mm-hmm. in Spider-Man stories. There's nothing else going on with Venom. He's a relatively new character. They didn't. He didn't come out until 1988. He's pretty young, you know. Little, little older than Harley Quinn. Pretty, pretty new for as comic canon goes. But there's no Venom stories. It's just stories about Spider-Man. So right. without Spider-Man, oh, so we're gonna beef up Venom and have him go with the other symbiotes. About like the post-credit scene is about Carnage. Carnage is even more ridiculous than Venom is. You know, so it's still just an interesting choice that needs strong execution to work. And this movie was not executed mm-hmm. well. So. While it was very successful at the box office, good for Sony, made $80 million opening weekend, by far the biggest uh, October yep. opening weekend of all time. The previous record was Gravity, 55. Um, and then Stars Born also made 42.6. So this was the biggest overall October weekend as well. So that's nice to see. And it's funny because this movie skewed male and skewed young, whereas Stars Born skewed female and skewed old. Mm-hmm. So literally all of America went to the movies this weekend. All, all quadrants, <laughs> right? So that's cool to see. But, and, and on the other hand, it did make $5 million more than Ant-Man 2, so it is successful financially, and I think it will justify a sequel on that regard, given Sony's desire, you know, to keep this going. But, you know, I, I mean, I would not recommend this film unless you're going in with these low expectations like me and you had. Um, and I think the best Venom movie to come out this year came out early in the summer, and it was called Upgrade, starring Logan Marshall Green, Tom Hardy's mm-hmm. twin. 
So I'd recommend that movie. It's on VOD now, and that's actually rated R. Uh, it didn't pull its punches the way Venom did. So, yeah, it's uh, disappointing. Before we uh, wrap up on Venom, I did want to mention um, one uh, one scene that we haven't talked about: the makeout scene. Um, I, you know, I agree with all your points about you know how uh, you know this isn't a good movie. I wouldn't recommend it, but it, successful. And that's it's actually really obvious that this was if you, like if you went into this movie this weekend, you were probably gonna like it anyway or at least i already had low expectations for it because it has an 89 percent fan score on rotten tomatoes with only a 32 percent credit critic score which basically just says like the people that went to go see it are already fans and they wanted to give it positive reviews to try to yeah. show the critics that they're stupid um but that makeout scene is like the epitome of everything that is was wrong with that film to me not only was it just like absurd and ridiculous and like such a strange choice but like you have this class actress michelle williams and <laughs> Like you put her in this position where she's just doing this like ludicrous thing. And I don't know, man, like the whole thing I I was sitting there. I was just like, this is fucking bizarre. I'm literally watching Venom make out with Eddie Brock. Uh, And this is a real thing that happened in 2018. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Why don't we just jump? uh, There's not much more to say with it. Let's just jump to the stars born. Uh, I think a film we both liked a lot more. If you follow us on Twitter, at Genie World Peace and at Martin Swagger and follow the pad at uh, follow the pad follow the pod at Nostalgia Pod. We need to get a pad. Yeah, the pad. The pad. I'm pad on Twitter. The Star is Born. I mean, man, this is uh, this is gonna be an, uh, a force of the award shows. It's gonna be Gaga, Bradley Cooper, hopefully Charlie as well. We're gonna be getting some love on the award circuit. I wanted to to start maybe with. Yeah, this is a remake of a couple of old films. Have, have you watched any of the previous A Star is Born? Because I, I haven't. I wanted to just be upfront about that. Yeah, I've seen some of the most recent one in uh, 1976. Babs. That's the one with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, which is not very good. <laughs> uh, I did have some positive influences on music and films, I guess. but And that was a remake of the 1954 one with Judy Garland and James Mason, which was a remake of the original, the 1937 Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. So it's a story we've seen yeah. before, or is out there to be seen anyway. Um, I've only seen the most, the 70s one. So this one modernizes it, I think, quite well, actually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think you need any knowledge of the story going in. Actually, I think it benefits you if you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, and that was the thing is that I had no idea where this was going to take me. And this took me on an emotional roller coaster. You know, and it's, it's really a tale of two, of two movies. There's like the the meet cute and the love story of the first half and then the tragedy and the drama of the second half it probably is important to, to start this off by talking about how bradley cooper this is his directorial debut and he also casts himself in the starring role um so he really wanted to to make this his movie and as jackson main you know uh, a troubled what mid-40s rock star you know kind of reaching that point of his career where he's now like a legacy act and he's uh he's an alcoholic he's a troubled person with a troubled past uh very few like close vulnerable intimate relationships and he meets lady gaga Allie, and she brings out the best uh, in him what do you make of of cooper kind of putting himself in this this role uh where he you know, is playing this troubled person that fits a lot of the, the troubles he went through in his own personal life, being a recovered alcoholic. And uh, I think that there's it's there's some 
stories out there about how he's very close to his mom, but never really uh, seems to talk about his father very much. Yeah, that's interesting, just because he's generally a pretty guarded person, regurgitates the same talking points on press tours and stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, I, that is an interesting choice. Um, I think the reward, I mean, the movie is about Jackson Maine, really, not about Allie, you know? So I think it's a really like a money part. So I think if you had to pick one, you probably should just star in it. Um, that I mean is interesting because this movie was in development for such a long time, getting off the ground, casting Glenn Eastwood, then he was just producing it. I think Will Smith was involved, Beyonce was involved. This was you know throughout the whole mid two thousands. So yeah, then Cooper finally got on board and he actually stayed on the star. And again, I think it was a Interesting choice to direct yourself in your directorial debut. That's uh, pretty ambitious, I would say, especially for a movie like this that has a lot of writing on it. Um, but it clearly worked out. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and he did a lot of work for this too. He, didn't he go to not only a vocal coach but a voice coach? So he he spoke differently, he lowered his his voice like a whole octave. Um, he really, I mean, put a lot of work in for this. Uh, almost approached it. You know, it, it, kind of like a, an athlete might approach the season by training in very specific ways. Um, and I, I thought he, I mean, I thought he was phenomenal in the role. I actually think Gaga's performance is a little bit more impressive because, like, this movie, like you said, was about Jackson Maine. And she had to basically play, like, this side part where, I mean, parts of it didn't, I, I don't even agree with or understand why they made the choices they did, like, to make her, you know, this very successful or an successful this very good songwriter who then all of a sudden just chooses to make shit work for fame which doesn't really seem to fit totally with her character but um at least i didn't i didn't think so um but i yeah it did it did feel like it was missing like a scene of her pushing back with the a and r label right like like jackson kind of alludes to it early on like uh you know get really big and then they're gonna try and change you and then starts off really out change your hair these backup dancers mm-hmm. right and like, i think that is it's a criticism of you know mainstream music acceptance and making success and jackson obviously was someone who pushed mm-hmm. against that right but we never got ali you know either accepting it and saying why she's accepting it to chase fame after struggling for so long or pushing back against it for very same reasons you know we didn't get either one of those it just seemed like that was kind of omitted and that was probably because the movie's focusing on jackson yeah. main you know at that time. but cooper really pulls off like the the rock star vibe i even thought the songs in this now i'm pretty sure he like enlisted what jason isabel to help him with the music but i thought the song sounded great uh you know it's, it, like the the first song black or i think it's just the intro is what it what they named it here but or black eyes maybe but um where he's like playing at like a Coachella type festival looks like. Um, I thought that song was great. Um, I also thought really liked uh, maybe it's time and obviously Shallows is the standout from this. Yeah, and I think what's so cool like the movie really enriches the music. You know, I mean it's one thing to make original music for a song about music, but the music scenes themselves are really uh, I think film really well. They sound great, you know, and. Cooper really sells it as what? Like, I guess he's kind of modeling his mannerisms after and sound after Eddie Vedder. But he's like, uh, from what I was reading, he's actually like loosely, Jackson Maine's loosely based off of uh, the Kings of Leon dude. Ah. Um, 
And then he also like drinks as much as Bon Scott, the first ACDC singer. Mm. You know, he doesn't sound like either. Like it's really interesting the kind of composite he is. And he looks, of course, like Father John Misty. Yeah. The funny thing actually I've seen going around, it doesn't hurt the movie at all. Um, but as like a legacy, like folk rock slash country rock act, he's pulling like a Coachella big big stage at an old like it's just weird like like is, is he like a solo act who's like as big as Mumford of Sons or something because I was just trying to think of like what's a realistic like comp to him like in, in that genre right now to have a such a big pull yeah you know I you like know uh, I kind of think like almost like Tom Petty I mean yeah sure like I, maybe I don't, a, I don't really know who else it could be um yeah, that's a good question. I, I I think like he he probably sounds more like Eric Church or like one of those type of guys. But um, Eric Church obviously younger and not like a legacy actor. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Also, I loved all the the like comments about how the people who bought tickets to his concerts, you know, you spend like two hundred dollars to be down in the pit for Jackson Maine, and then. The, the closer is a song with his girlfriend that he wrote like two days ago. It's like, what the fuck? Like you're waiting for like your favorite song to come on and that it's be a very frustrating movie going <laughs> experience. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think, I think of the first half of the movie is probably my favorite part, but I mean, I think the whole movie is great in general, but like I said, it's kind of distinctively split, but that whole, like, them meeting each other, figuring each other out, the scene in the parking lot, the scene um, where they sing Shallows for the first time together. Like, those are, like, the moments I think I remember most from the movie. Um, and when I think about the second half of the movie, I just think about a lot of a lot of sadness. And it's, it's actually, I think, a really... I think that's why I think the movie is done... is made so well and done so effectively is it really it's manipulative in a lot of ways which i think it is it's done in the best ways that, that like old old school uh hollywood kind of used to do and similar to la la land is that you know they use certain tricks to elicit certain emotions and that's kind of pulled you throughout the movie and uh really impressive bradley cooper's debut but even more his performance yeah and i think the movie itself is probably the most cinematic purely cinematic film i've seen since sorry to mm. bother you you know and that that first act first act and a half that you mentioned i think was just really dynamite uh the script i think oh, throughout i think is very tight but it really does not waste any scenes any moments in the beginning and you know courtship is something that we see all the time in in, in film right but this is it almost is like unconventional the way that you know we see this it's not like instantaneous you know it's a little drawn out and you know, I think Anthony Ramos of Hamilton fame, a uh, small role, but I really liked his presence in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it's just, it's such a crowd pleasing film while maintaining a high quality. You know, it's honestly, it harkens back to Oscar films, Oscar favorites of the last decade, you know, the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, where movies that were popular and well liked were also really good and awards contenders, you know, it's, it's a nice throwback in that regard. And I think it's very justly going to be in the best picture conversation throughout the year. 
Um, I think working against it will be that it's coming out at the beginning of award season. So we will see a lot of Cooper and Gaga. We'll see and hear a lot about this film. And as other stuff comes out, and again, a lot of talented directors still waiting to release their films uh, wide. Uh, there'll inevitably be some kind of backlash, but it, I'm positive it will last. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, over 40 million, it's opening weekend. It's going to have like a La La Land type uh, commercial success. It should last uh it might probably be in theaters longer than Venom, even though Venom uh, nearly yeah. doubled it over here in the first weekend. So that's great. Um, I, I saw this going around. Uh, and, and thinking about it more, I wasn't thinking about it in the, in the moment, but the passage of time in the film, as well yeah. as the locations and settings, just rather unclear yeah. throughout the movie. Um, and, you know, there's certain touchstones, right? Like she puts out an album. And then she becomes uh, a Best New Artist winner at the Grammys. We know when the Grammys happen. We know how eligibility works. But it's like, is this is her whole whirlwind in like a year? Right. You know? Or, you know, is, is this... Is yeah, you thing? know, her SNL performance, season finale, usually ends up around May. So then the Grammys are usually February. So that's like, what, nine months? Uh, where you don't really even, like, see them, really. It's like, like I think there's a fight and then they go to the Grammys, maybe I'm misremembering the or the sequence of events. Um, yeah, the passage of time, and like you said, the location. Uh, I went with my girlfriend, Julianne, who her hot take seeing all the trailers was that this movie is going to be terrible. And she 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 loved it. Like uh, She thought it was a little sad. And she's like, I'll probably just watch like the first like hour and a half of the movie the next when it, when it comes out. Um, but she really liked uh, Cooper's performance. But she said, like, did they drive a motorcycle from New York? to arizona and i was like no yeah i was like i don't think so i think it was like a suburb of los angeles or like maybe northern california but uh yeah just like some of the details of it and some of the order of events didn't really make sense um but the thing about this is that like you said it's the story of these two it's really jackson's story and the the supporting characters in it you know sam elliott andrew dice clay um Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. I thought when they got a chance to to be on screen, they all killed it. You know, especially the scene that will probably stick with me the most, and this is a very like typical male, I think, take from the movie, is the scene in the driveway between uh Jackson and his brother when he tells him that, you know, it was really him he idolized and not his dad. Um and then he's trying to like back out of the, the driveway and with tears in his eyes. It's it's such a powerful scene and mm-hmm. I think it also speaks to how while the dialogue in this movie was written, it's almost like too realistic yeah. in ways. Like the way when they're sitting in the parking lot, I forgot what they said at one point. I think Jackson said something like, I, I think you're beautiful. And like, as he's like, keeps talking, get, like Aga says over him, Oh, you're sweet. Like, and I was like, most times it'd be like a back and forth, but her like speaking over him a little bit was like the perfect, like way to like write the dialogue. It just felt very smart and very like true to me, which uh, I appreciated. Um, not not really a bad thing to say other than a couple of the choices that I don't know if they made total sense. Obviously, the sad it, the movie uh, gets sadder, oh. darker, the way it ends. Um, but I think the movie is so successful because it really builds tension yeah. uh, expertly, whether it starts out maybe just being a little cringy or, you know, a sense of disappointment on the part of the audience. Uh, and then, you know... I mean, I remember, like, I, I saw this on a Wednesday night. It was, like, a cool, like, fan event, so I actually didn't see any mm. previews. Nice. Uh, which, which was cool. Uh, so it was pretty packed, though, obviously, as you can imagine. And when 
he first like relapses and like he grabs pills like there was a whole like gasp in the audience like audible gasp and everyone's just disappointed and, like oh mm-hmm. shit you know so we kind of knew it was going to happen of course you knew if you had any knowledge of the older movies but you know seeing it happen it's just like it's one of those real things where the movie is so well made the character is so well drawn that you're actively like rooting against him yelling at the script you're like no yeah. don't do that right and I, I mean i think the grammy scene really uh really jumped out to me just because you know snl i thought worked well too and those are scenes that we did not know existed they were not in any trailers mm-hmm. or anything i think halsey had a like instagram like thanks for letting me have a small piece of this amazing moment so i guess we knew halsey was involved somehow but i still wasn't thinking right. of grammys um and that scene unfolding is absurd. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, heck, I really like the uh, A&R producer character because they never really made him seem like just a, like he could have been too cartoony mm-hmm. or too, like, you know, evil or whatever, right? But no, and he was like, you know, when he basically, like, puts his balls on the table and it's like, Jackson, you're fucking over Allie. And by staying married to you, she's looking bad and things like that, right? And I just, I just see a lot of that stuff seem actually quite mm-hmm. realistic to me. And uh, even though it's not as enjoyable watch uh, in Act Two and Three, uh, I still think the movie like really hammers home. I actually really like to watch it again with the emotional beats right. now, you know, in my head, like knowing what's going to happen. I really like to see because I can just watch it closer, you know. But through one watch, I think it's cinematic, crowd pleasing, and filled with great performances, and the music's awesome too. There's really no flaws. I didn't know Gaga had this in her. Um, and I think that that's why, for me, she wins the movie. Because, you know, I really liked Bradley Cooper. I thought he was pretty good in American Sniper for, you know, some of the I think the problems that that movie has. and mm-hmm. um, Silver linings. I, I, I just think Gaga really being able to go toe-to-toe for him in, in this role that he's, I think he's probably going to win the Oscar for unless another performance comes about i mean there's a couple on the horizon Chalamet. yeah and, and gosling might uh like yeah. steal two with first man but i hear beautiful boy actually is not getting great reviews so far which is yeah the, i think the movie is mixed it'll probably not be a best picture nominee the way called mm-hmm. by your name was but i'm expecting to get that nominee uh, from at least at least yeah. timmy um yeah i actually right now given you know what i think of the race i think gaga actually has a better yeah. chance Adam, I mean, if the momentum continues, you figure Best Picture and Gaga are probably locks for nominees. Definitely. And Cooper probably gets the Best Actor nominee as well. And then, heck, the movie's like really moving and like really doing well. Heck, Sam Elliott maybe could even get one. I think he's probably not in the movie enough mm-hmm. to justify that. Kind of like a you know, Michael Stuhlberg yeah. uh, from Calling By Your Name, for example. But, no, no, we got a few months before we see how that goes. But I put my money on Gaga over Cooper right Interesting. now. Interesting. So it'll be something to look out for. Yeah, go go see A Star Is Born. It's really really well done movie, and there's not any aspects that I think you can look at and say like, ah, well that wasn't that great. Like, like like we said, a couple of the choices maybe didn't make total sense, but otherwise it was uh, really good. So check it out. Yeah, and uh, check out Venom if you want to. You know. Uh, really appreciate this movie even more because uh after seeing a star is born then going to see venom i was uh pretty disappointed this weekend so and guess what they both have the same director of photography wouldn't know, wouldn't know it um <laughs> we're gonna wrap up there what do we got next week dave yeah next week uh the better call saul season finale is airing uh, right after we're done recording so we'll be a little late on 
uh, our full season review of Saw. Happy to catch oh. up on that, though. The show is uh, excellent to the surprise of anyone who, to the surprise yeah. of no one who actually watched the show. Um, First Man, Damien Giselle, Ryan oh, yeah. Gosling. Stoked as hell for that. Neil Armstrong, uh, Moon Landing film. That comes out. We'll definitely talk about that. Uh, Old Man the Gun, Robert Redford's quote, last film. Uh, it's been out for a while. We're going to try and get to that. It's uh, expanded into slightly wider release, so it's by uh, both of us now. So we'll talk about that. Um, musically, there's nothing super big. Like I don't know how excited you are for some older acts like Black Eyed Peas and Tom Morello, but they're <laughs> dropping. Um, LMI uh, has her debut project coming out. Maybe that'll be good. Um, and then lastly, The Romanoffs, the Amazon show from Matthew Weiner, creator of Mad Men, is releasing the first two episodes on Friday. So we'll be talking about both of those episodes, the anthology series, excited for that big cast. And actually also, one final thing I actually forgot about, uh, this Wednesday, uh, 22 July, the Netflix film directed by Paul Greengrass about the 2011 Norway terrorist attacks hmm. comes out. That was a movie that awards movie was screening at film festivals uh good reviews so that'll be on netflix on wednesday of all all days so maybe we'll talk about three movies but a lot to talk about lots to talk so about check out that show. hey uh, just a random uh a random uh, question for you so i was listening to a um listening to a podcast with juliet Littman from the ringer and mm-hmm. she talked to she mentioned on there that rashida jones is married to Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend. Did you know that? Yeah. I, I almost that. like crashed my car. I was so surprised. Couldn't believe it. It was amazing. <laughs> it is a weird such pairing. a weird pairing. <laughs> and also, Rashida Jones recently dropped a uh, uh, documentary on Netflix about her father, Quincy Jones, who I did not know was her father. So I, did I learned a lot about Rashida Jones like Damn. the last three days. Been quite uh, quite eye-opening but thanks for listening please subscribe on youtube uh and itunes and everywhere else we'll see you next week yeah.